Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are Abby and Joan. They're members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, and they'll be sharing their story of recovery from food addiction. So, welcome to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Abby, uh, we usually talk about growing up and the things that sort of affected you, um, uh, family, school, stuff like that. So, tell us a little bit about your family and growing up. I grew up in a large family, migrant people, who um, both parents, they met here and uh, they had a hard life in the war. And they were so grateful to come here and to have the the benefits and the freedom and democracy of this beautiful country. Being one of nine children, uh, we there was a lot going on. Uh, we all we had our different personalities and we had our reactions, and it was quite a let's say it wasn't a very calm home. Uh, there was a lot of um, different emotional reactions going on within the household dimension itself. There was, um, you know, our family has different um, strains of uh, addiction in it. Um, I have my mother's an adult child. Uh, grandfather's an alcoholic. I had some siblings who are uh, alcoholic. Myself, um, I'm a food addict, a die-hard food addict, absolutely. <laughs> Ridgy, dig, dinky, die 100%. Um, there's not one ounce of um, doubt about that in me. Uh, other siblings who a sibling who has acute mental illness, schizophrenia, uh, Asperger's and bipolar, uh, and um, you know a father that suffered greatly in um, the war, um, and who would have you know several mental breakdowns. We call mental breakdowns a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression. Um, within the walls of the, of the home itself. So that sounds pretty challenging. So what was it like for you, um, you know, getting out to school? Was that an escape? Yes, it was, it was a great escape. It was the great escape. I loved school. I loved it because I achieved well. And I was, I, I felt that because, see, for me, my worth was based on I did well, uh, you get ticks, you get gold stars, and you get a little reward. So every time my report card came out, my dad would give me a little bit of money to reward me, and I felt like I, I, you know, I'd achieved and I was something. So achievement and it was, it was a great motivator for me to feel like I, I was okay uh, as, as, a, as a person, as a child. I would... Um, be at school there. I'd be chosen for particular roles to do. I would be in the musicals. I would uh, be chosen to do the errands for the teachers, to to help the struggling readers in the class. 
there was all these things that I was chosen to do and it was hard when I got home and because I was one among many there, but it was work, you know. We had to, you know, I was a little mum. There was five underneath me, so there was cleaning, cooking, um, looking after the children. But, you know, school was, was, my, was my great escape. I'd loved it. You know, I'd stay back at school. I would not go home because I just didn't want to walk on eggshells. And that was what it was like for me. I walked on eggshells in my home. You know, I love my family, but that was a reality for me. Yep. I walked on eggshells. Okay. Mm. So what was it like when you went to high school? Did that same transition occur? No, the high school was horrendous for me. Uh, I, I just didn't know what had happened to me. When I was 13, there was this thing in our family about you got to look good uh, and fat was not acceptable. However... Um, my mother had said to me, if you keep your figure, you've got a beautiful figure, she was a dressmaker, um, you're going to be fine. But my mind said, no, I'm going to make sure I've got a great figure. I'm going to start dieting and starting now. And then I did this interest elective at high school, in all-girls school, and I went ballistic over the high-octane sugar product. It was high. It went straight to my head, you know, which later on in my 20s, a naturopath said, this woman, to his other clients in the waiting room, this woman is like a heroin addict on sugar. I've never seen anyone like her. So at adolescence, my whole, whether it's my metabolic um, disposition, um, whatever it was, my body changed. It morphed into something monstrous. I changed shape. My beautiful figure, I was struggling to keep it. I had to control. I had to starve. I had to diet. I had to put all of these, I had to get all of these elements in play to stop it because I'd lost my identity. I, I, I just had lost it. So from being going really well in primary school, High school, I got to about six, fifteen, sixteen. I was straight A's, and then after that, for those two years, I, I just every waking moment was, how can I stop this craving? Mm. So, how did you go with uh, friendships at school? No, it was good. I, I got on well with a lot of people in high school. Yeah, I did. I, I got along. Um, I got along real well with the girls. I was part of a group. There was eight of us in our group. But you know, I could talk to, I could talk to all all the different types of girls at school. I got on well with the teachers, um, so that wasn't. I wasn't an isolator. I wasn't quiet. I wasn't a little shy little um, pedal in the corner. I, I was there, sense of humour, um, like to you know have a bit of a repartee, you know, talk a bit, uh, get on with things, and uh, I got on well with most people. People, yeah, but in myself, I was struggling in my inner world. Mm. Okay, uh, well, I might swipe over to you, Joan. Um, so, what was life like for you uh, in growing up and at school? I had two older brothers, five and six years older than me. Loved them, adored my brothers, loved my family. We were seen as a, a really close, warm, loving family from my friends and people outside of the family. Things good, um, but then something that was challenging for me was I can remember sitting at the dinner table and not feeling like I could keep up with any of the conversations that were going on. Um, I come from a pretty intellectual 
well, my brothers and my dad. My dad's a maths professor and my brothers are just sort of sharp, sharp-minded. And, and I was five and six years younger than the both of them. So regardless of my intelligence, really, they were just in another league. And I wanted to keep up. I wanted to be a part of the jokes that were going around, the, the conversations, and I just I couldn't. And there was this one time I can remember my mum encouraging me to speak up about something that was troubling me within our family. And I was maybe seven years old and I thought, okay, great. I'm going to sit and sitting at the dinner table and I'm going to, I'm going to have a voice as well. And I opened my mouth and I, and I nervously, but sort of excitedly uh, said my thing that I needed to say. And I was just, I was shut down really quickly by my older brother. And I just remember thinking, well, I can, I'll never do that again. I'll never, never risk opening my mouth again that, that way. And so I felt like I was pretty voiceless and I started to eat differently. For whatever reason, I started to um, cut out a whole lot of food in my diet and my parents, my my family would sit down to this three-course meal. My mum was a great cook and would cook all day and make these beautiful meals and I just would eat my tiny little two or three things that I had decided were okay for me. And that started to become the thing that gave me an identity within my family. So how did, how did you choose the foods? Was there any science in it? No. No, I don't think there was. I was too young. I just know that I had this real aversion to cooked food. And so I, would, I just whittled it down to a few raw salad ingredients, maybe some cheese on toast and just really basic stuff. But it was cooked food, cooked vegetables or cooked anything, just for whatever reason, just I, I started to say no. And I just, I was... I kind of felt sick at the idea of having it. So it wasn't an intellectual choice. It was a real sort of gut, a feeling thing. That's the way it started anyway. So was your mum concerned? Yes, she was. And she tried desperately. Every day I remember getting home from school and she would say, okay, what can I make you? I'll make you this, I'll make you that. And I would just say, no, no, no. And I just wasn't interested in food. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I didn't want my mum to hassle me about it. But on, on another hand, now as an adult, I look back and I think maybe there was some some comfort or something that I was I was getting out of the attention being turned toward me, and I had some sort of identity. Yeah. From it. So, did you come into conflict with people about trying to change your food? Yes. Well, certainly, my dad. I can remember this one time. My dad, um, who's also a meditator and this kind of a, a guru-ish figure in my life, I just thought he was amazing and he always had these... He's, I also grew up in a completely vegetarian family uh, and my dad had a lot of rules, regulations, superstitions and ideas about food and I just absorbed all of it. I thought my dad was amazing and I just wanted to know all of his thoughts and uh, latest fads and this and that and started building a file in my mind of, of, of with all of that. and But my dad one time got me aside and tried to talk me through relaxing around eating a bowl of plain steamed white rice because, as I said, I didn't eat any cooked food. And so I was going through this thing with him, this sort of um, guided meditation, and came, came out of that situation, sat down at the dinner table and, of course, was offered a bowl of plain steamed rice. And I just gagged at the thought of it there was no way that I was going to be able to eat it so didn't um and then every now and then someone might say oh that's right I had a I had a a really dear girlfriend whose older sister I thought was really cool and there was one time where she was helping me do something and and she said 
oh, you're really... She took, commented on how skinny I was. And it was almost as though there was a little bit of pity or extra love that came into her voice when she said that. Because I wasn't unwell or anything. I was thin, but I wasn't unwell. And I think I filed that away as well as a, oh, look at the love and the care that I got when my best friend's very cool older sister said that. And so possibly there was some hit that I got from if you're skinny, if you're really thin, then you're going to get some more attention. Okay. Um, so what about uh, school? How did, Was school a, an enjoyable place for you? Uh, primary school was fine, but the transition from primary to high school was an absolute nightmare for me. I was, uh, my dad left home when I was about 12, 13, just before I changed, just before I went to high school, so my last years of primary school. That was a real shock. Didn't see it coming at all. Felt really stupid that I didn't see it coming. All of a sudden, my dad's gone and left a note on my bed saying that he'd gone. Um, I just had no idea how to cope with that. And my mum didn't really know how to cope with it. She, she didn't know how to help, didn't know how to take care of herself, didn't really know how to deal with my feelings about it. I didn't know how to express that I even had any feelings about it. And I think that's when and my body started changing, going through puberty, put on weight, I was chubby, went to high school, a whole lot of, you know, huge school from a tiny little school, didn't know where any of my classes were, didn't know how to ask for help, was late to classes, and then if, I, if it became too late, I just wouldn't go, started wagging school, and that's when I really started to buy my own food, buy snack food, um, sugar and sugar products mostly. And would, my mum would drop me at the train station to catch the train to school in the morning and I would go straight to the little kiosk and buy a whole lot of sugar products, put them in my pocket, sit down on that grey, dark train station on my own and just open up those shiny, pretty packets. And I would put that first bite in my mouth and it just felt I could feel the drug in my system and it made me feel so good, wiped out any feelings or concerns that I had about my family or my body or my changing school and that's when I just really took off with with eating large quantities of highly refined sugar and flour products. Okay, well listen we might take a break. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Uh, you're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we have over 110 episodes of this show available as podcasts on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. Uh, if you want to contact us, uh, you can do that via 3CR on 03 9419 8377 or email us at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. Uh, I'm talking with Abby and Joan, and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. Abby, so how did life go sort of leaving high school? What, what happened after that? Well, I grew up in a very strict family and I grew up in an all-girls school uh, in education. So I did my HSC. Um, I got into tertiary education. I got to university. And for me, um, it was just a whole big new world. Uh, as 
I was there with all these, you know, new people and guys. And then I, I started to see what started to develop for me at that stage too was this whole world of the male domain. And, um, you know, I could really see uh, obsessions around that as well and not really knowing how to have relationships, um, how to uh, connect. Um, yeah, I was, I was just, I felt like it was awkward for me, but I was, because I was very out there and uh, friendly with a lot of people, I got on well with people. But as I said, my you know, stuff, my inner world was always challenged constantly. So the next, you know, the food reared its ugly head. I was battling that. And then the whole body image thing. So how do I keep myself looking good? And then the whole male domain. And I was just one big diabolical, like, cocktail of, of, of these, this going on in my life. So I... Um, Halfway through uni, I remember saying, oh, I'm just going to drop it. I've had enough. I'm going to go out and uh, I'm going to travel the world. And then I thought, well, you know what? If I do that, I don't know if I'm going to finish my degree. So I didn't trust myself to come back and finish it. I thought, no, you've just got to stay put. You've got to finish this degree and then you'll have a vantage point to be able to do other things afterwards. Um, that, that was how, how it was, I suppose, for me. At 19... I had a boyfriend. He was he was a tremendous person. Came from a wonderful family. Oh, um, you know, couldn't have wished for a better situation. However, I was so restless inside of myself. Um, you know, and that, it, it was it was it had all the all the right things. You know, in this relationship, but I just had to uh, after six months said, "Look, I'm really sorry. I've just got to leave this relationship. I've got to find myself." And that was it, me. I was so confused, so, as I said, restless, so didn't know where to go, what to do. Um, and I, you know, I, I let go of something that was very, very valuable, uh, you know, at that stage and potentially could have been, and I knew it was headed down, you know, a pretty, you know, a pretty strong committed path uh, for me, um, but I couldn't do it. I mm. couldn't do it. Was there any motivation to control your food during the relationship? Yes, every motivation. <laughs> every motivation. I was, remember, we were out the backyard bouncing ball. Um, he was a sports you know, sports guy and um, and I, I'm out there and I'm going, oh, you know, is my stomach in? Yes, I'm slim enough. Um, you know, does the skirt fit? Is the tight, the top all right? You know, it was just all the time going on. Um, you know, the whole scenario. <laughs> Did I look good enough? Um, no, I don't want to eat that food because I knew if I had that piece of that, you know, the, you know that I'd blow up. I'd bloat. The, the flour just bloats me out and puffs me up and the sugar just makes me go crazy, you know. It just, that's what it would do for me in my body. Yeah, full on, full okay. on. <laughs> so what about work? I got my degree, I've been working since I've been 15 years of age, you know, always part-time, but my, my career path, I actually got full-time work at um, 21, and after two years, I just resigned because I couldn't cope, I just couldn't cope anymore with it, 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 it just, the, what was going on inside of me and this, uh, um, this addiction that was inside of me, and in, in those two years, 
my boss, my very first boss, full-time boss, he came up to me and he was a runner and I tried all sorts of running clubs, etc., etc. and he said to me, I think you've got what I've got. And I said, what's that? And he said, I think you're hypoglycemic, so you go up and down, you know, and that's just a dietary, you've got to, got to change your diet and you'll be okay. But there was more to me than that. It was just not a case of my diet at that point. So I went and I got the glucose tolerance test. That all happened six hours in the waiting room. Yes, you got all the spikes. Right, just don't eat. Don't you can't have sugar. I got told by the doctor. You know you cannot drink. Um, you cannot have this. You cannot have that. You can't. You know just have whole grain. But you know what? When I have two pieces of that flour product, I couldn't stop. Well, you know, one's too many and a thousand's not enough. And they said, just stop it. Just stop it too. I said, I can't stop it too. So I knew there was something really wrong um, in, 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 that, in that experience. Needless to say, my boss, he was hypoglycemic. He used it. He, made, he managed his diet and he was a runner. Me, I had those spikes due to the sugar and the flour, but I, you know, I couldn't stop. There was a difference for me. I knew something was different. Mm. Okay. Uh, I'll swap back to you, Joan. What happened, you know, towards the end of school and, and leaving school and going to work? Mm-hmm. So I actually changed schools. It just became so miserable at this first school that I went to. I, I started wiping out all of my friends. Um, I became really very sick mentally. Um, my mum took me to see my first counsellor, then maybe a psychologist. Um, to try and help me because I was clearly very troubled and I would I would I would cry a lot in the morning and beg not to go to school. Please don't make me go to school. Please don't make me go to school because I was just so miserable there. And I did have friends, but I for some you know I was someone who if some if my friend looked at me sideways or said something to me that I, I thought was meant that she didn't love me or like me or was a bit unkind, I just started to build up cases against people in my mind and I started to build resentments and make up stories and I started just wiping people out of my life, wiping friends out of my life. I had no ability to maintain a relationship. If something was slightly rocky or not completely smooth, I just had to wipe it out because I didn't know how to do it. So I ended up very, very lonely. Did you start dieting or anything like that that girls usually do at that age? Yeah. Well, uh, when I changed, once I changed from that school where I was chubby, no friends, wiping everyone out, I changed schools, went to an all-girls school, which actually was better for me because I think, again, I'm, I'm, I'm highly competitive. I didn't know that at the time. So it was good to not have the boys around and have all the, my girlfriends kind of vying for their attention. So that was better for me. And I started reading magazines. Um, glossy fashion magazines um, and teenage magazines uh, which showed me pictures of lots of skinny, dieting, exercising, having the most fun they've ever had in their lives, models running around on beaches just eating one green apple a day and I thought, well, I'm just going to do that. So I started kind of trying to do that and live the life of the magazine girl, the magazine model girl and I went into a fantasy world. And I did start losing weight because I just wasn't eating. And I started to get attention for that. And that felt really good because I think that's what I was really thriving on and have always, if I'm getting attention or someone else is saying, looking at me and saying, you're okay, then I must be okay. So were you a public dieter? Uh, no, no, I wasn't at all. I really, 
Uh, on the outside, I just had this cool exterior, had everything together, nothing wrong here, no problems here. If a girlfriend would say, oh, do my legs look fat in this or how do I look? I just, oh, <laughs> what do you even, who cares? You know, don't buy into that whole dieting business. It's this great big industry that's just a waste of time. But under, And I think I probably believed it on the surface. I probably believed that. But underneath, I was just concocting all my own diets and just trying to starve myself and desperately trying to... I didn't want anyone... I had no humility. I didn't want anyone to know that I wasn't okay or that I was struggling, which made it very difficult to ever, ever reach out and ask for help. I just couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. You're sort of building a wall, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what about socially? Did you do... You know, Were you active socially? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I was. I, that was the... the the big part of my life was just was boys. Um, even though I was at an all-girls school, but I found my way to boys any chance that I could get and was always had a crush on someone, always desperate to, for someone to have a crush on me. And that was a real hit. That was a big drug for me, was, was re- really going to that. And I started to wag school. I didn't go to school a lot. And I snuck out of my bedroom at night and would go to night and just dance and drink water and started to take drugs and I loved that because it took away my appetite and made me feel really cool just really cool really together in this kind of fantasy world did your parents have any concerns did they know about all this stuff yeah they did start to my mum was sort of beside herself so my parents were divorced at this stage I was just living with my mum and she was very 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 worried about me but I was just lying I was a good liar I had no fear of authority zero fear of authority I had no fear of my mother no fear of consequences partly because I just I didn't really get any growing up um I I was I was I was I felt like I was allowed to live a pretty free life um and but I, I took advantage of that and I can remember one time being found out that I'd wagged school or nicked out at night and was at a nightclub and was really upset and trying to talk to me about it and I just I was just rude. Um, I was rude, I just lied blatantly, didn't care and then at one point she uh, has said to me since then that she really didn't know what, what to do, bless her, and she said, well, at least you can pretty much do anything you want as long as I know where you are. So she in, it allowed me to then go to nightclubs, etc., stay out at night, as long as she knew exactly where I was. And it's very interesting that when she when she said that to me, I, I actually started to not want to do all that stuff. I started to yeah. want to just stay at home. It's classic. My food was mm. Yeah. Um, what about socialising with friends and things like that? Uh, as you were getting older, was food a focus for your socialising? Yeah, yes, I think so. Although other people might... I ate very well in front of people. I was very health conscious. And my dad, as I think I said, was was a real health nut. And he always had was talking about the superfood this or the new... The new or, you know, this, this, is a com- this combination is great. Don't eat that with this. And I loved all of that stuff. And so I ate that way and would have appeared on the outside to be very health conscious and very kind of cutting edge with with the way I was eating, the the sort of things I was doing. But behind closed doors, I was eating like an animal. Um, I would go to friends' parties and the the birthday cake would come out, sing happy birthday, everyone would have a piece. 
And then my mental obsession and craving and desperation to get my hands on more and more and more of that would, would definitely override my, my, my desire just to have a conversation with someone. And I would, I would eat as much as I could publicly without looking like a pig and without anyone sort of really noticing. Or I would get some into my bag and either take it home, take it home and eat it or I would literally go into the bathroom at my friend's house, lock the door, sit on the floor and eat it. Um, and just loved being alone with food, just loved it. But then the horror, uh, um, once I stopped eating and having to actually deal with people, was very difficult. Um, I lived a very double life, particular way of uh, being with people publicly and then behind closed doors, very different. Okay. Uh, also, we might take another break. Have you heard it on the news About this fascist growth thing Even men with racist views they're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, starting January 16, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. Brothers, sisters, we don't need that You're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Abby and Joan, and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. So, Abby, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to you. You started thinking about getting away from everything. Yeah, running away, uh, that's a feature of my disease. Uh, most definitely, uh, chuck the job in. Two years couldn't cope. It was it, you know. Um, I can't face it anymore. It's all too much. Uh, so I just, uh, that's, that, that was my way of coping and then just isolated. I just um, remembered being, you know, I, I left home at 19 and then I, you know, I went to, I went and I lived in the eastern suburbs for a while and, um, you know, there I am just so down, despondent, miserable, uh, looking out of my bedroom window at a nearby cemetery and just wanting to be dead. Like, I want to be dead. I cannot I, I cannot live life any longer. You know, I just want out. I really, really want out. This is no way to live. So I, I had that going on for me um, uh, at around about 23 years of age. I was doing a course, um, a drama course, uh, part-time as well. I was going to go on a trip um, with this drama battalion uh, over to uh, L.A., etc. And, you know, I just kept expanding and expanding. And, you know, the press studs on this skirt, I was supposed to look hot and cool and um, sexy, you know, as a waitress at this uh, pub I worked in. And uh, it was just not happening anymore. And I was so shocked that my boss didn't um, sack me. Because uh, body image is a big thing. It uh, was when I started out with a job, I, I looked good. Uh, but then when I finished with it, I didn't. So I had to battle with that all the time, push people away, isolated. You know, I'd be asked out on dates when my body was, you know, looking okay still and I just wouldn't answer the phone. Uh, I wouldn't respond. Um, you know, I just... Uh, yeah, I just went into my, my own world of um, 
isolation, in running away from life as well. So there were different ways that I ran away from life, and that was certainly one way that I that I did that stage. So what did your mum think about you? Okay, there was big, yeah, there was big, well, when I returned home, um, I, I packed and I went, I can't live like this anymore. I'm just hopping on and off the scales every day. I'm just going to the local um, binge, the local store and just buying this food. And I just had to, you know, swallow my, my pride um, uh, and um, eat humble pie, so to speak. And, I, you know, and I packed up and I uh, went back to my parents' place. I landed on the doorstep. My mum was mortified. My brother-in-law said, you know, behind my back that I was Humphrey B. Bear. That was the shape that I was starting to, and they didn't tell that to me to my face. <laughs> but really, you know, but I was Humphrey B. Bear with a mouth, I might add. I wasn't miming. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, mum was shocked. She looked at my body. She saw all the stretch marks, all the blood blisters. I had boils. And my body was poisoned. It was poison because sugar and flour is poison for my system. It's absolute poison. You know, now that I'm not in it, I'm not poisoned anymore. So what happened was mum was mortified. She was disgusted with me. Um, come on, you should be able to do better. Like everyone thought, you know, you can get your act together. Come on, you don't want to. Why did you let yourself go? You look so beautiful. You had the best figure. You know, you look lovely in the dresses. You know, you're just gorgeous. Da, 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 da. But no, that wasn't, yeah, so... I just uh, stayed there and I found on July the 30th, I rang Lifeline up, um, that uh, call centre that helps people who feel suicidal or in a place where they just don't want to live anymore. And I rang them up and I, I'd, meanwhile, I'd kept a little ad from months before um, for a 12-step meeting to a food fellowship and over it is anonymous. And I rang the lady, she was so nice, and she said to me, I've got a solution for you, there's a meeting on Monday night. And from then, my journey, my toe in the door with 12-step fellowships began on the 1st of August, 1983. That was, you know, I I started to be able to... I was like this, you know, you you, you get my head, Bill, shut it down under the water, and I'm going... (laughs) And I'm trying to get up to get a breath, and you push me down again. I was just sort of strangling in this um, this pit, this quagmire of, of suffocation. Um, that, you know, that, that's how I can, you know, that's how it was experienced for me uh, at that stage. Yeah. So, so did that did that help you? Going to that meeting? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I walked in the room, and all of a sudden, it was like a breath of fresh air. You started to feel, all right, I'm no more smothered. There's something here. I couldn't work it out, but I knew there was something there in that room. And there was just a couple of people there, two or three, three people, and the lady was also in AA, and she was in there, and she said, just keep coming back, girls. And I went, I'm coming back. And I came back, and I'd get in my car, and I'd drive to all these meetings. I didn't care where, when, what, how. Because you know what? For the first time, I got a little bit of a breathe. I started to feel that some that I, I really identified with alcoholics, I really identified with that addiction. And that's what FA's about. It's based on Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. Yeah. So how did you find out about FA? I was in the other programs, the other 12-step programs uh, for, for many you know years, and 
other members had heard. You just hear things on the grapevine. Have you heard? Have you heard? You know, we're always looking and searching because even though, you know, I was in those, I'm very grateful to those fellowships for, for giving me the opportunities to be there. I still wasn't right. I was still not right. I wasn't right, right-minded. I wasn't right, you know, my body. I was not, the things were not right. So I, another member, several members went to uh, FA and I thought, no, I'm not going there um, because I'd, I'd been in, I'd, I'd nannied overseas in, in, in Rhode Island, in New England area in the 90s. And um, I, I'd been to, to meetings that were really good and clean, clear and strict. But, you know, I, you know, there's resistance. There was a bit of resistance there in me. And I went, you know what, I'm not going to go to FA. And then I got, uh, so, but I popped in in 2006. I remember my husband wasn't well. And I went there and I went, no, I'm not doing, no, 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 I'm not doing this. I'm an Aquarian. I'm a free spirit. I'm not going to be doing this program. And, you know, um, I've, I've, I've since come to accept and realise and deeply believe that, you know, the freedom in my life is due to the disciplines of my program today. That's where I get that freedom from. It's just, a, you know, it's amazing today. So I... Yeah, I went in then on there, I ran out, I did more eating, I was still in OA, I had the keys to the rooms, I was still, you know, pretending, 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 I'm okay, I was doing the steps, pretending, pretending, you know, it's going to be okay, and it wasn't. And then my conscience got the better of me and it said, you need to get to FA. And after, you know, eating copious amounts of Easter products, um... On Good Friday on April the 2nd in 2010, I picked up the phone and I just said, help. And I went to a meeting that night. And other people could come and gone and I just, and I've stayed ever since. And it's been uh, the greatest gift for me today. Okay. Great. Thank you. Uh, well, listen, cross, cross back to you, Joan. Um, so when did your relationship with food become an issue where you, you had to look at it? I was seven months pregnant. Uh, had been married just under a year and I was still trying to exercise and, and run when I had this, and it was painful. I had this big pregnant stomach and I was stealing food. I was eating huge amounts of food. I was sticking my fingers down my throat, making myself vomit, trying to, not very successfully, but doing whatever I could and running, trying to run and not sleeping because I didn't think I deserved to rest or to sleep. I wouldn't want to have a shower because I didn't want to look at my body. I didn't want my husband to touch me. Uh, he would come to give me a hug or something and I'd just, just get, get away from me because I felt so bad about myself um, because I couldn't keep this thing under control. I would have periods of, of being able to control my food and eat the way I thought was okay and, or, or maybe not eat. And that was great, but then I could never, I could, I could stop often, but I couldn't stay stopped. And once I put that first piece, and this is what I never knew, that first piece of flour or sugar into my mouth, my, the mental obsession, the physical craving became unbearable. And all I could do was think about how I could get more, eating more, or how I was never going to eat that again, and what systems I was going to have to put into into place to, to, to never eat that again, always making up formulas and my own diets and just obsessed 
It was a full-time job trying to work out what I was going to eat, when I was going to eat it, what I was never going to eat again, what I did, what I was allowed to eat today based on what I ate yesterday. That was the really sad part. I would wake up in the morning and have just a second of, oh, yeah, the birds are tweeting or whatever, husband lying there, and then it would crash in on me, the horror of what I'd done the day before. My brain would immediately start scanning the day before and inevitably, usually nine times out of ten I'd done something in the day that I didn't feel okay about with my food and so then it was right what am I going to do today to fix what I did yesterday and it would just be all on again and my husband started to miss me I would send him off to work saying honey you know I'm going to make you this beautiful dinner so when you get home he would leave for work I would try to eat normally I would try to just have breakfast and then a break and lunch and then a break and I couldn't do it home home alone home on my own was very very difficult and he would get home to someone to a, a crying angry resentful crazy pregnant wife and no dinner you know he would just he just didn't know what was going on and started to really miss me emotionally and probably was became quite worried about me and his unborn child so when did you come in contact with FA? So I was at a party. I might have been, yeah, maybe at this stage, I, yeah, very heavily, heavily pregnant. I was at a, a birthday party of a friend and I was feeling quite good that night because this is the thing, I was just very up and down. I was feeling quite good because maybe I'd eaten successfully for a couple of days or something. Um, and then I was at this party, but then I'd had a couple of chips from the chip bowl and then I was just going from bowl to bowl to bowl and I watched myself lose my control again and I was feeling pretty bad and I ran into someone who I'd known a few years before who'd been really fat when I first knew her but she was very in a slim body when I saw her at this party and I asked her what she was doing she told me about SA and I just hated everything that she told me I just thought it sounded outrageous and just awful and what do you mean a meeting at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning well there's no way I'll be doing that and what do you mean no flour and sugar that sounds a bit extreme doesn't it there's no way I'll be doing that um but I filed that that address away in my mind and that time and I was desperate and it really is a gift of desperation and I went to that meeting and I was set free because I heard people sharing things that I did with food that I had never heard anyone share before and I had never shared with another living soul before. And I couldn't believe it, that they were standing there with glowing skin, bright eyes, openly telling a, a bunch of people in a room that they ate out of garbage bins or that they stole food or that they lied about this or that and I just couldn't believe it. And I wanted it, but I was terrified and again I was just too cool I didn't need help I had no humility full of pride didn't really talk to anyone at the meeting and I didn't want anyone to get too close to me they all they were all too friendly too healthy and I thought if they get too close to me they'll see what a what a monster of a, a human being I am um so I left that meeting and thought there definitely was something there for me but too scared wasn't ready I joined FA and my husband, my, the food got even worse for me or my relationship with food got even worse. And my husband said to me one day so lovingly, you know, honey, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? And I said, what are you? I was so angry. I said, what do you mean what am I doing? I'm seeing this psychologist and I'm going to this yoga retreat and I'm running and I'm trying to meditate every day and I'm trying to, 
And he said, but what about, what about your food? What about, what about that FA meeting that you went to? And I hated, again, I hated hearing him say that. Um, I didn't want to go there, but I also knew that was a, he in a way lovingly gave me permission to, to go and try this thing that, that looked impossible, but just sounded like such a dream. And that's when I started to, um, uh, yeah, join the program. And then uh, my husband one day was saying, why don't we throw more of this stuff away, this food? And I said, but you know, you might want that one day. You, you might want to eat this or that. And he said, honey, if I want you know, a piece of bread, I'll go down to the shops and I can, I can buy myself some, you know, get rid of all this food. And that was the beginning of my, my, my journey. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Uh, so, Abby, uh, do you want to talk about what it's like now? Yeah, very different now. Um, as I said uh, a bit uh, earlier about the, the disciplines of the program, or the, the you know, is my, my freedom is now. I have freedom. I have freedom within myself. I no longer have the craving for sugar and flour, and I never would know when that would come for me. You know, I just never know. Speak in the night, you know, 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, flatmates, um, go and steal their food, get it out of the freezer, go, have to go then to a, to a shop and go and buy it. So, you know, I, I don't have those practices anymore. That's a big relief. I don't have the obsession relating food um, today, thank you, thanks to this program. So that's, that's in itself is, 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 is just such a... It's revolutionary for me, revolutionary for me, because every waking moment I was filled with that. So that's that's a huge, huge plus for me. Today, it was about um, a few years ago, Bill, and I'm driving along, and I come from that really uh, heavy place of body image, uh, and one day I'm driving along and I'm just going, it's just out of my mouth, I love my body. Because, you know, that would never happen. I was never satisfied with my body in any shape or form. I always hated it. Every part of it was horrible. You know, everyone else's body was, they were more beautiful than, than I. And, uh, you know, so that's changed. The whole body image uh, 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 situation for me has changed. So I can actually say that, you know, my body is good. It's healthy. Medically, you know, before I came, I was pre-diabetic. I got told I'm pre-diabetic. I got told you're a heroin addict. You're like a heroin addict on sugar. You know, um, I, I, my gastrointestinal uh, situation has improved immensely. You know, I was under the care of a professor uh, at a really good hospital here in Sydney, and uh, he just said, you know, my what I've done with my colon is due, he said, to my, my eating what's happened with my eating over the years. You know, I don't have this, you know, wake up in the morning with a flat tummy and then, you know, by 3 o'clock in the afternoon there's a big beach ball in front of me. You know, I don't have these physical abnormalities anymore. I feel really overall very, very healthy. Um, I've had some great um, strides in... Um, in really changing in the area of um, panic attacks. Oh, my goodness. I would have so many panic attacks. I'd be freaking out on things. My husband wasn't well. I'd have these panic attacks. We're driving to the hospital. I'd go to the hospital, so I've got chest pains. My husband literally was dying. I wasn't. They had to see me first because I had chest pains. 
I had to go and get help. I had to go on medication for that fear. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm off that. I'm clean. I'm, I'm so clean today. I'm, I'm not on anything that's shoving my feelings down today. Today, I face my stuff. I don't stuff my face. I feel my feelings today. I don't need anything. I don't need the sugar, the flour. I don't need the caffeine. I don't need, you know, other things to, to, to shove it down. I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. No medical drugs. I don't need, you know, recreational drugs. So today, that's that's my life today. And I really know that genuinely and sincerely, I'm living for me a life of integrity. My relationship with my mother it was such a strange situation. I really didn't like her. I don't even want to use the word hate, but you know, I didn't didn't like her. Um, I push her away. You know, I've, I've since made amends with her. We have a good relationship today. You know, she would hate me taking the food and shoving it in my face. She'd try to grab it off me like she'd try to grab, like as if it was alcohol in my hand. She'd grab it out of my hand. I would be screaming. I'd be yelling. I'd, you know, push her away. Um, you know, that doesn't happen in my life today. I've taken responsibility for this disease that I have. I'm accountable for it, you know. I, I know that who I am today and what I have. Um, my allergies, I was going to an allergist and the nurse said to me, how do you survive? I said, what do you mean? She said, look at you. You've got nearly every allergy under the sun. Since I've been on this program now for well over nine years and nine months, my allergies don't exist like they used to exist. You know, that's, that's a really, really big plus for me. Sleeping. Oh, boy, up and down with my sleeping. My, you know, my sleep problems aren't like what they used to be today. If I find myself I'm just not going to sleep straight away, you know what, I'll go to sleep. But this program has calmed me down. <laughs> I was racy at <laughs> And so I, I'm not racy anymore. I've slowed down a lot. I've changed you know, I had a lot of fatigue, you know, physically fatigue. It was like, oh, we went to climb this mountain uh, down the coast and I was like an old lady with a stick in my hand trying to climb this mountain. Now I've got buoyancy about me. I've got energy in my day. I'm not a liability to my family in that respect. I'm not a liability in my job. You know, my health, I'm not a liability to the medical fraternity. I said to my doctor once, I said, hey, doc, if everyone was doing this program, you know you'd be out of a job. He said, not really. He said, people still break their ankles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just, that little thing there. But headaches, I used to have massive migraines, but that was when I was early at adolescence. Um, I, you know, I, I don't have those things. So, you know, for today, um, life, is, life is different. Um, and it's a good life today. I'm feeling my feelings. I, I don't need to, um, you know, shove them down anymore. Um, some days I don't have a necessarily a fabulous day, uh, but I know that, you know, in the good days and the not so good, I just don't eat and I work my program. And that's, that's, a, that's a real, real fabulous miracle. I used to have fear of failure, fear of being rejected, you know, fear of not being popular, fear of not being loved, you know, fear of the unknown, what's going to happen in the future. Just fear, fear, fear. 
you know, hence those panic attacks. And I haven't had a panic attack since being in this program. And I'm convinced. I'm convinced it's this program. All the arrows are pointing towards this program, you know. And as I said, I have my, I have my not-so-good days, not for sure, but I work, I work through it. And so it's a good, it's a good decent, um, genuine life the day that I have, and, and I'm very grateful for it, yeah. That's good. Um, um, Joan, uh, what about life today for you? How different is it? Oh, um, I've got a big smile on my face, Bill. It's a, it's a very, very different and very, very good life. Um, I came into FA 2007, September 2007, so it's been about 12 years, and one of the things that I don't think I mentioned really that drove me to come to, to really get help or do something radical was that I was pregnant with my first child and I was so scared that I was not going to be able to have a relationship with her. That my relationship with food was so all-consuming and so out of control that she was going to be born and I just wasn't going to be able to cope. I wouldn't be able to, to, to look after her. I wouldn't be able to have yeah, a relationship with her. Um, and, and I'm grateful that I had that fear because and I don't think I would be married today. So anyway, today what my life looks like is that I'm still very happily married. I have two beautiful children, a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, and I have those relationships, Bill. I have an ability to be in relationship with people even when it's a bit rocky, even when it's not perfect. I can see things through. I don't need to build resentments and wipe people out of my life. I'm able to apologise. I'm able to look people in the eye because I'm not lying I'm not stealing. I'm not eating food out of the park that someone else has left from, you know, the some kind of party the night before. I'm not eating food out of other people's fridges or or cupboards. I am not jumping out of my skin when my husband walks into the kitchen because I'm way through eating something that he'd set aside for himself or that I'd stolen from somewhere. I'm honest and I'm open and I'm able to be transparent and I'm able to get things wrong and clean up my mistakes and I just don't have things to hide. And one of the things I love most is I think I always wanted to be able to have those family dinners and to be able to be in conversation with my family or with people that I love, but I was never at peace. I was always troubled by food in some way whether I was trying not to eat what was on the table or whether I was really angry at myself for eating the things I did the day before. So I was just full of self-centered uh, anger and turmoil. And today I just love being able to be with people um, and to have relaxed, genuine relationships because my relationship with food is calm today and that is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. <laughs> Sounds great. That I don't crave flour and sugar. I eat three weighted, measured, really wonderful, nourishing, well-balanced meals a day, and I can live my life and I feel free. My mind, body, and my spirit are, for the most part, very peaceful and very free today, and I'm extremely grateful. Thank you very much. If anybody's out there who'd like to find out more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, then you can phone them on 1800 717 446, or you can go online at foodaddicts.org. That's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Abby and Joan for sharing their Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous re experience with us today. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks thank a lot, Bill. I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from food obsession and how overeaters have helped them. Stay tuned now for more great programs on 3CR. 
And thanks for listening to Living Free program today. To take us out, we've got a song called Love in Prison by Died Pretty. Shine is a